Well, good morning, church, and welcome again to Encounter on this fall launch weekend and also the grand opening of our Fulton Heights Church. It's so good to be together. It's so exciting to be in the same room again. It feels feels just fantastic. Hey, listen, we're starting a brand new series here at Encounter uh, called Five Words to Change Your Life. Uh, the idea behind this series is that God uses these five small words to make an outsized impact on our lives. And as we get into it, I want to extend an opening invitation to you um, to, to help make this time together, this conversation, kind of stretch on into the week a little bit more. So on the card that you received when you came in, uh, it's an invitation to uh, text the number 94,000, just five words uh, all one word, the number five, followed by words. Uh, it's kind of a link on the screen. And uh, just 94,000 five words. We're going to follow that up with a devotional, a kind of midweek time, uh, just message it kind of references back uh, to the week before, and also a look ahead at the work that's coming up. So five words texted to 94,000, just stretching this time on into a week with a very brief devotional. You're signing up for five of those over the next five weeks. Um, the word that we're starting off with today is a powerful word. It's the word yes, that our lives are shaped and formed uh, dramatically by, uh, by the word yes. Some of you, you know this is true, like your college acceptance letter, right? Uh, you, you know that it was an acceptance letter when you received it because it, it's the thick one. Uh, thanks but no thanks is a very small packet. It doesn't take much ink to say that. Uh, the thick one that you get is a, is a yes, right? Congratulations, you've been admitted. Uh, it's, it's somewhere in the bottom. It's a variation followed up by, are we going to see you next fall? And your yes to that question is powerful. Uh, relationships, key friendships, potentially the person that you'll be spending the rest of your life with, you'll meet as a result of saying yes to that question. Uh, looking over at the driver's instructor, uh, the, the test, the guy with the clipboard when you're 16 years old, and looking over at him and asking the question, so did I pass? And some of you, which I can't believe because I've seen you park, you, you've gotten the response, yes, right? Lives are changed. Worlds are opened as a result of this one word, yes, getting down on one knee, telling, professing your love to the woman of your dreams and asking her to marry you, that one word response that hopefully you know what the answer is before you ask that question followed by yes your life is never the same now she's in the other room standing in the doorway to the bathroom she's holding something in her hand you say no 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 could it be we've been trying for so long are you pregnant and she says yes and your life not to mention your sleep habits are never going to be the same again listen it's power in this simple word, yes. Asking your friend, are the Lions going to win the Super Bowl this year? And the answer isn't always yes, but you get the idea. It's power in the word yes. Now what I'd like to acknowledge, acknowledge together is, is we don't always get the word yes. Is it sometimes, isn't it true that some people seem to carry in their hearts, not a yes, but they carry in their hearts a no. 
was a researcher, Andrew Newberg, who was a neurological researcher, and, uh, and he would ask these study participants to go into an MRI machine, and he'd kind of put them in, and he would uh, measure and take scans of their brain activity and chemical balances while he flashed different images and different words on a screen ahead of them. And what he found is that when he would flash um, images uh, that communicated the word no, and when he would flash explicitly the word no and its synonyms, the participants' brain chemistry would change as a result of that. The stress hormones would be introduced into the system. Communication, language ability uh, would be affected appetites would be affected, sleep patterns would be affected, the ability to experience long-term happiness in life was affected negatively by just like flashing the word no. No, I, th I think that's important for our conversation today because some of you are going to work tomorrow or going to school tomorrow and you're doing that with people who seem to carry in their heart a no toward you. It's like if they don't have an immediate no, you kind of get the sense like they're going to find a way to say no. They carry in their hearts criticism and judgment and condemnation. Now other people, hopefully other people who are closer to you, in, in relationship with you, hopefully they carry a yes. And if it's not like an immediate yes... <laughs> They'll find a way to say yes. They'll find a way to, to make it work. They, they want to see you grow. They want to see you thrive. They want to see you soar. Even if there's a word of criticism, it almost doesn't matter because you know where they're coming from and you know that they want to, to help you. So even a critical word is said in a positive way and makes a positive difference. The, the question that I'd like us to explore this morning in your heart of hearts, when you're honest before God, do you carry in your heart, does God carry in his heart toward you a yes or a no? Like, do you experience that relationship with God as, as one of freeing, liberating, wanting to see you thrive and grow and soar? Or do you experience God as somebody offering condemnation and judgment? A harsh, critical no. Because of slammed doors relationally, professionally, spiritually. It just seems like God is... He's always trying to find a way to say no. If you're asking that question, what, what is God carrying in his heart toward me? You're not alone. The people sitting next to you have wondered that same thing. I have wondered that same thing. Uh, church, people for thousands of years have been wondering this same question. What is God carrying in his heart toward me? In the New Testament of the Bible, towards the back, there's a, there's a book, it's actually a letter, a couple of letters called First and Second Corinthians. Um, Paul is his name. He started the church in the city of Corinth. It's like we're Grand Rapidians, uh, right? So uh, this is the, he writes a letter to the Corinthians. He's, he's sending them a letter. First Corinthians, guys, 
it's Paul, and he's just offering, like, stinging rebuke after stinging rebuke. Uh, he started this church. He has the opportunity now to speak into it, and, and he speaks in a word of, uh, of harsh condemnation, like, again and again. Uh, you, you, you guys, there's judgment, uh, there's favoritism, there's just nastiness. You guys suing each other, lawsuits among believers, and he's like, knock it off, would you, all kinds of immorality. And he ends the letter with this promise, I'd like to come visit you. Because some of you know, like, messages delivered over email versus messages delivered over a cup of coffee just hit different. And so Paul says, I'd like to follow the letter up with a conversation. So I'm going to come and visit you, except for months go by and nothing. Years go by and nothing. And so they're wondering, Paul, our church's founder, is he carrying in his heart towards us and no, stinging rebuke again and again. Is, is, is it possible that is, is God carrying in his heart for us? And no. Paul doesn't make it back immediately, but he knows he has to follow up with them. He can't leave them hanging. And so he writes this in 2 Corinthians, and I'd like to share it with you. 2 Corinthians 1, uh, starting up in verse 18, it says... Um, but as surely, as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him is always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Paul says, no matter how many promises have been made. I don't think Paul had them counted at the time. People later on have gone through the Bible and have literally counted every promise of God. I love this. And so by one person's count, there's 7,457 promises of God in the Bible. And Paul is saying, the answer to all of them in the name of Jesus is yes, yes. Does God have salvation for me? Yes. Does God have forgiveness for me? Yes. Does God have the power to cleanse me? Yes. Does God have the power to give me a brand new start? The promise in Jesus is always yes. Does God promise to be with me, present with me, every moment, in every breath of my life, yes. And even after the last breath is taken, as he promised to meet me on the other side, when I open my eyes once new, in a resurrected body, in a resurrected place, the answer is always yes in Jesus. He, he's, he's carrying a yes in his heart for you and I. Contrast that with whatever anybody else has ever told you. Contrast that with a boss who says no, a spouse who says no, a child who says no, a dog who says no, a cat who says no, a pet rabbit like mine who says no. The answer in Jesus is always yes. I want to share a story with some of you because we're celebrating today. This is the grand, this is the grand opening of the Fulton Heights uh, Church. 
of Encounter Church, and we're so thrilled, we're so excited. This church is built on a legacy of faithful individuals who said yes to Jesus, even before knowing what the question was. God, the answer is always yes. For those of you who may be new, Encounter Church is built on a legacy of faithful people saying yes before they even know what the question is. It's yes. As a group of people, a group of people a little over 10 years ago right now, who said yes to starting off and, and starting a brand new church. Guys, they had no idea what in the world they were saying yes to. They're saying, yeah, I want to tell my neighbors. I want my neighbors to experience, my friends to experience the new life in Jesus. I don't know what that looks like. Let's start a new church together. And I'm like, great, let's go. What do we got? Some of you might be under the impression Encounter Church started in this uh, in a Kentwood location. It did not. Perhaps you've heard we were in a school cafetorium uh, a few years ago. Uh, cafetorium that was a little more cafeteria than it was auditorium. It was not. A church started the idea with a, about a dozen or so people gathered in my living room with long brown shag carpet and cracked leather couches. They had some questions. I wanted to say yes to. I couldn't in good conscience. They had good questions like, great, we're starting a new church. Where is it going to be? So I've got some ideas. Currently, everybody is saying no, and we're launching in like three months. So we're going to put that one at the top of the prayer request list. Okay. Other questions. Can you tell me about the children's ministry? I'm going to answer your question with a follow-up question. Would you like to help start a children's ministry? <laughs> oh. right, questions, questions. <laughs> What's the name of the place going to be? Answer, it's a lot harder to name a church than you thought it would be. Listen, there's questions that people have. They stuck with, they said, Yes, even before knowing what the question is. This morning we're talking about God carrying in his heart a yes for you. Let's get something clear. God's answer for us is always yes. Our response back to him, especially if you're in, if you're in church today, it's usually a yes. It's yes most of the time. Oftentimes it's yes and... Yes, but God, you've given me a yes, and my response back to you is yes, but I don't want to forgive her because you have no idea how badly she hurt me. God, my response back to you is yes, but don't make me go there, at least not with them. This is like my Nineveh experience. I want to stay away from there. God, don't make me break up with him. I recognize we're on different spiritual levels, going different places, but I don't want any of that. It's a yes, God, but except this one thing I'm keeping back from me. It's like a yes and a yes, but I'm keeping back from myself. My encouragement to you as God delivers in 2 Corinthians his yes to you over 7,000 times, 7,000 promises, our response to back to him isn't always yes. I want to focus on three areas where it could be. First one, I want to say yes to who God says that I am. I want to illustrate all of these with a, with a story. It's a story of Jesus asking some of his first followers to follow after him. Uh, it's going to come from Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. 
we pick it up and it says that Jesus, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they're casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Matthew is clearly a tax collector. He's not sure people know how fishing works. So he's like, yeah, the net uh, communicates that they're uh, fishermen. Verse 19, Jesus comes along. Come, follow me. And I'll send you out to fish for people. Like, like the way that you're fishing for fish right now, I'm going to ask you and give you a purpose to fish for people. Maybe some of you heard this as a story, maybe in the church growing up, if you grew up in the church. Maybe like a youth group setting, a rally of some kind. Jesus is walking by a lake. He sees a couple of guys throwing nets into the water. He's like, you there, Simon Peter. You got a brother? Yeah, yeah, him too. You guys, leave your stuff behind and, and come follow me. And like the way that it's told is like, Simon Peter is like, okay, let's go. Out of the boat, following Jesus now. And you're like, what? Like, oh yeah, tell mom, you know, I said, see you later. Tell dad, I said, good luck with the family business. And we're like going, are you kidding me? Like, that's a huge step to just get out of the boat and follow Jesus like that. And it's cast to us sometimes. It's like, listen, this is the call of Jesus in your life. Like, he's asking you to get out of the boat. You got to get out of the boat. Follow him wherever he's going to go. You know, because after all, if, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And so get out of the boat and follow after Jesus. And you're like, can I finish high school first? Like, is it right, is it right now? I don't, I don't think the answer is yes. If it has to be right now, if it has to be that, I don't, I don't know. Does that mean it's an automatic, automatic no? So this is important to us as Christians as we, the, as we read the Bible, as, as a church as we read the Bible. What we want to do is when we read something in, the, in a story, we read something in the Bible and we're like going, that's not spiritual, that's irresponsible. If we read something in the Bible and we're like, that, that it just doesn't make any sense. What I would love for us to do is have a heart of humility to say, potentially there's something going on in the story then that we're not totally getting right now. And I think this is exactly what the case is going on. There's some cultural factors that are at work here that just kind of jump out and, and make this story mean a little bit more. For example, the Jewish rabbinical system in the first century in Galilee, where the story takes place. It's a thick culture. Boys and girls would learn how to read and write from a very young age, starting at around five years old. In the ancient world, this is very unusual. Boys and girls would learn how to read and write from five years old by learning the Torah, the first five books of our Old Testament. They would memorize huge chunks of that. The best of the best, the brightest of the brightest of those students would then move on from learning the Torah to learning like the rest of what we call our Old Testament, their scriptures. The best of those would start to learn and start to memorize some of the more popular rabbinical interpretations of those passages. The best of those, we're thinking late teenage years right now, would be invited to offer their own interpretations. The best of those, think the early to mid-20s, would have then, would then be given a position of authority to teach interpreted of the passages in the Old Testament. The best of those would be invited to become a rabbi themselves, to call their own disciples and Greek students in English or Talmudim in Hebrew, to follow after the rabbi. But when the rabbi says, come and follow me, 
He's not looking for good students who could ace an exam, who could hold a lot of knowledge in his head. The, the rabbi is saying, no, when I invite you to follow me, what I am doing is, is saying, I don't think that you can just learn like I learn. I think you can live, and I think you can love according to the scriptures like I live and like I love in addition to the learning. I think you could imitate and replicate me. This is a message for another time, but Jesus, throughout the telling of the story in the Gospels, seems to check all these boxes. He's growing up. He's learning the trade. He's learning the scriptures. He's teaching. He's instructing at the temple in a very young age. You can see he's like this prodigy, marching the way through. In his early 30s, probably around 30, he becomes the rabbi that's now looking for his disciples in Greek, his students in English, his Talmudim in Hebrew. And he's walking by not the best of the best, the brightest of the brightest, students in the rabbi's school he goes by a lake and he finds some fishermen that are clearly dropouts of the school because they couldn't cut it people who could be described as functionally literate and he says you guys this is your big break I see something in you I think I think that you could learn the scriptures. I think that you could live the scriptures like I have learned, like I am living. Jesus saw something in them that I don't even think they saw in themselves. Why is it, church, that sometimes we choose somebody else's view of us rather than our maker's view of us. The best way that I can illustrate this is with this thing right here. Just a show of hands, Fulton Heights here at Kenwood, does anybody have any idea like what in the world this thing is? There's like zero. There could be a, a physical therapist in the room and going like, I know what that is, or somebody who's had to... Uh, displeasure of having to use one of these that might know what it is. This is, a, this is a tool for repetitive injuries. You kind of put it on your knee and kind of massage out the muscles to help alleviate chronic pain, tennis elbow, etc. Uh, I'm like looking at this thing, right? And, and just going like, I've got no idea, no clue, like many of us, no clue what it is. What right do we have to decide this thing's value and usefulness? That we just look at something, I don't know what it is, but yet at the same time, like, oh yeah, I could tell you something. It's a large paperweight, like, here you go. It, and, or it looks medieval, and maybe that's the use, I don't know. But if we could get, like, an expert in, if we could get, like, a physical therapist, if we could get maybe the inventor of this thing to show us some studies on, like, how it worked and the pain that it alleviated and go, no, 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 in the right hands, with the right context, this thing is invaluable. But yet again and again, we go to somebody else's belief about who we are rather than our creator, rather than our inventor of ourselves. Guys, years ago, my daughter started picking up some sports, and so we're like, I don't know, let's put her in some, some things to like figure that, to explore it a little bit. And so she tries soccer. And they're like five-year-olds, right? Like running out of, running around a field, kicking a ball. Parents, like, we don't know what we're doing. We're just trying to shout encouraging things, right? Helpful tips, like score a goal. 
that's probably a pretty safe bet, you know, like, do good. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. We're just shouting things at the girls. Usually, we're shouting encouraging things. I will not forget, years ago, one, one guy, a parent, down the line. We're all shouting fun, happy, joyful things. The tone is cynical. It could even be described as angry. He shouts out onto the field, call her Sarah. He shouts out, Sarah, for once in your life, will you just try? I don't think those words rang just in her ears. I think the words of that dad that day will ring in her heart for years. I think that she's going to carry with her the words of what somebody else has to say rather than what her maker has to say. We carry words in our hearts about what other people who have no right to decide our value, worth, and purpose rather than our makers. When we tell ourselves, I'm, I'm not... A, I'm too slow, I'm too lazy, I'm too big, I'm too heavy. I'm not good with numbers. I'm not a math person. I'm not a communicator. Like whatever it is, we tell ourselves and we believe things about ourselves rather than what God has a word for us. Our maker has a word for us. When he looks at us and he says, no, 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 I see you forgiven. I see you loved. I see you with hope and a future. I see you as God's workmanship created on purpose for a purpose. Listen, God carries a heart, a yes in his heart for you. Our response to him, number one, is say yes to who God says that I am. And number two, say yes to what God has for me to do. Let's continue the story of Peter. Now, this time it comes to, to Luke, because Luke actually spent quite a bit of time with Peter. We learn about that in the book of Acts, the acts of these guys after the resurrection of Jesus. And so Luke kind of has this inside, inside look at the life of Peter. And so we get information that Matthew doesn't, doesn't get us because they spent time together. They told these stories. Luke 5, verse 4, when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, he says, hey, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And we know, we kind of know, don't we, like what, like what Peter's thinking? He's this guy, this, this rabbi, this carpenter turned rabbi on shore is saying, uh, hey, try fishing when you're not supposed to fish. Try fishing during the day. And he's like, hey, the fish come up at night. We catch them. They go down into the cold waters during the day. We don't catch them. That's why we don't fish. We know what he's thinking. He's thinking, typical carpenter trying to tell me how to do my job. Hey, you stay in your lane. I'll stay in my lane. All right, he doesn't buy it, but verse 5, Simon answered, Master, he's being polite, notice the word, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. I love this line. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Okay, I'm going to do it. Not because I believe, just because you say so, I'm going to do it. And everybody who sees me going out and fishing during the day with the nets is going to laugh at me, but that's fine because I'm just saying yes to what you have in store for me. No, notice something, though. Notice Peter, Simon Peter, he does it. I mean, he, he does it. If it made sense to him, I don't think it would be called faith. It would be reason. It would be understanding. 
He does it. Uh, author Adam Weber writes that one of the clearest ways that I can see God's movement in someone's life is their willing, willingness to say yes to God. When God asks us to do something, simply saying yes to what God has for me to do, who I am and, and has for me to do. So many of us, we look at somebody like Peter, and if you know the story, awesome. If you don't, I'll fill you in a little. Peter's kind of a big deal in Christianity, like as far as followers of Jesus go. Like there's St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, like it's largest church on the planet by square footage. Like it's kind of a big deal, right? It's Peter. Uh, Peter was a huge deal in the faith. I mean, Peter was the guy, eventually, not here, but like later on, he would be the guy that, that when it came time for him to choose his faith or his life, he would choose his faith and forsake his life. Peter would be the guy that they came to him and said, you know what, we're done with you, we're going to crucify you. Peter's the guy that says, I'm not worthy to die in the same way that my Savior died by crucifixion. Can you maybe do it upside down? And the Romans were like, happy to oblige. Peter, listen. Peter doesn't go from fisherman Peter to crucified upside down Peter like that. Peter goes from fisherman Peter to crucified Peter one small step at a time. Sometimes in our faith walks, we get so enamored by the vision of what God is creating us to be, and it's so intimidating, and it's so daunting that we don't even start on the journey. We don't even take that first step. And it might be a literal million steps to eventually get there, but what I'm saying is don't let the start stop you. Zechariah says it another way. He says, don't despise the small beginning. Carry it on. Say yes to what God has for you to do. Say yes to the small step. Say yes to the start. Say, say yes to asking someone for some help. Say yes to going to the counselor together. Say yes to, to trying to quit again. Even though you might have a life of failure in the past, say yes to starting one more time. Like, what's the thing? What's the thing that God is asking you to do? Don't neglect the small beginning. Don't let the start stop you. Say yes to what God has for you. Say yes to who God says that you are. And the third thing is say yes to the gift that God is bringing you. The gift that God wants to give you. Oh, I'll finish out the story here in verse 5. And Luke tells us <laughs> that Peter said one more time, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they had caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break and so they, they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and, and help them. And when they came, they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me. It's not master. He's not being polite. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I see who you are, and in light of that, I see who my I am. And the only word that I can use to describe you is Lord. 
couple of things. Peter, Peter had spent hours shoulder to shoulder with Jesus with little to show for it. I mean, he goes out in the water and he lets the nets down. That's about, that's about as much. It wasn't until he took that first step of letting the nets actually down into the water that his eyes were open and he could comprehend who Jesus is and who he is in light of that. We can listen, like Peter, we can listen to the teaching of Jesus for hours and hours, soaking in the knowledge, learning about him. But it isn't until we do something about that, the smallest step, one of a million towards that end, that actually our eyes are open. We comprehend who God really is. Now, I got, I got one more thing on that. Because, because Peter... Peter is living a fisherman's dream. <laughs> he's been out there. He's not catching anything. He's frustrated. He's hot. He lets his net down like one more time during the day this time. And he hauls up. It says, it says so many fish that the nets were breaking. Hey, guys, guys, come on over. Boat, help me load this thing. And there's so much fish that now both boats are beginning to sink. And what does he do? He leaves the fish. He gets out of the boat. And he leaves, he leaves the fish and the nets and the sinking boats. He leaves his dream behind to go and fall at the feet of Jesus and says, Lord, Lord. I love that Peter is the, is the guy in the story who's living the dream. And he says, you know, when I have a choice between a fish and a savior, I'm going to choose the savior every time. When I have an opportunity to choose the provision of God, I will choose the provider every single time. When I have the option to choose the blessing of God or the blesser in God, I will choose the person of God every single time. And he falls at the feet and a journey begins and it starts just by that one step, one action, saying yes to a changed life, get out of the boat. So I'm going to ask, church, to get out of the boat. I don't know what your specific yes to God looks like, but I do know that a changed life is on the other side of saying yes. I'd like to ask, it's uncomfortable, maybe, but I don't think it's too much, so just hang with me. I'm just going to ask you to hold your phone, just with a pocket or purse, like wherever it is. I got mine. Just hold your phone in your hand. You touch the thing like 20,000 times a day statistically. This is just one more. Just hold it. In the back of your seat, there's a QR code. Scan that code, and it leads to your next step to worship, to serving, to grouping, to giving. Is it possible that God is asking you to take this one step out of the boat, uh, to commit to saying yes, to coming back to church in person again next week, starting that rhythm? Is it possible that God's request in your life, the gift that he has, is on the other side of saying yes to a serving team? Yes, I'll rock a baby. Yes, I'll greet somebody at the door. Yes, I'll greet somebody inside the auditorium at one of our locations. Yes. Is it possible that God is asking you to crack open your closed heart and be vulnerable in a circle of trusted peers in a group setting? 
Is it possible that he's asking you to step out and offer a gift, if not a sacrificial one, a recurring one, to simply, to simply make generosity a priority for the first time or for the first time in a while? Yes. Some people have said yes. I want to show you a picture of this. It wasn't the living room. It was when we got a big time and we upgraded to a friend's basement because we needed more space. The picture was taken early on in 2010 and we're planning and we're laughing. And we're dreaming about the ways that we're going to invite our neighbors and our friends to experience the new life in Jesus. This is a group of people that would set up chairs for a couple of hours, for several years in a cafeteria so that one day we could have a chair that didn't need to be set up. This is a, this is a group of people that would rock babies in an 85-degree school hallway because someday they had a dream that God would provide a permanent location where the things didn't have to be set up and that we had air conditioning. This is a group of people that would buy coffee during the week and brew coffee at home on Sunday morning, It'd forget to submit their receipt because they kind of wondered if the church could reimburse them anyway because one day they believed that you could have a cup of coffee in church and it would just be here. What I'm saying is that The blessing that we are living today is founded on their faithfulness in saying yes yesterday. Someone's life is going to be dramatically impacted tomorrow because you said yes today. God honors that faith and faithfulness over time. He really, really does. Say yes. Say yes. I'd like to invite you all to stand up this morning. And as we end up our time together, I have one more request. Because some of you, the yes isn't worship, serving, grouping, giving. Some of you, the yes goes a bit beyond that. Because you've experienced quite a decade this past year. And the drift has happened, and the wondering is happening, and the wavering is happening. And, you, and you've been asking yourself, is God a fickle God? And no, he's a faithful God. He carries a yes in his heart for you. And I would just like to offer you an opportunity to respond in faith to his faithfulness. So I'm going to offer a prayer. A simple prayer with three words. And when I pray, and if you find yourself in your heart praying along with those prayer, with those words for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand. Jesus says, those of you who acknowledge me before others, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And this is your chance just to say, my answer, my response to his yes is followed with my yes. I'm in. I'm committing my life to him. I'm recommitting my life to him. So let's just, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, and let's just pray together in faith. We, we pray, God, your answer to us is always yes. In Jesus, the promises are always yes. And God, we respond with our own yes. 
we respond with just a few words. Number one, sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my doubt. I'm sorry for my wavering and my wandering. God, I'm, I'm sorry, and I also ask for help. Help me, Jesus, by giving me your grace, by giving me your love, by giving me your power, by giving me your resurrection when the time comes. Sorry. Help. Thank you for new life. Thank you for eternity. Thank you for the hope of heaven, and thank you that the hope of heaven starts today. Church, with your eyes still closed and your heads bowed just between you and God, I'm going to ask you to acknowledge that. I'm going to count backwards from three, and if you found yourself praying along with that simple prayer, sorry, help, thank you, I'm just going to ask you to, to raise your hand. That's all. Just raise your hand as an acknowledgement, your yes publicly to God in front of him. Church, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, let's just, let's be in the moment in the presence of Jesus, acknowledging him. And I ask you to raise your hand on three, two, one. I ask you to put your hands in the air. Amen. Yes. Two. Just hold them up. Church, everybody around, let's just celebrate. Let's clap. Let's worship God. Let's say thank you for the hands that have gone up. Amen, Jesus. Amen. I commit these folks over to you, God, and I pray for your grace and power in their life. Your next answer, your next response is to tell just one person about your, your answer, your hand raised. We've got prayer teams set up in the back at Fulton Heights and at Kentwood. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to celebrate with you. When it's time, and I, and I think it might be time for a number of us in the room, your response is to show the world your yes by going to encounterchurch.org slash baptism and show the world you've been raised with Jesus Christ and his hope. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.